0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into First Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Series called Unshakable. So, if you have your Bible with you, and if you would open it up to 1 Peter chapter one, uh, that's where our text is today. First Peter chapter one, verses thirteen to twenty-one. Uh, Kids, I want to remind you, there's that worksheet or that uh, handout there. Fill that out. Come see me after the service. I've got a treat for you again today, and we're going to dive right in. So if you'd find 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, and if you'd stand with me, I'd love to read God's Word for us and take us right to the heart of what Christ has done on our behalf. Let's, uh, let's give our attention to God's Word. Here it is: First Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action... Be sober minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for your, your kindness to us in Christ. You sent him for us and for our salvation. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that as we reflect on and as we hear your voice and your word today and see the way you call us to live as your children, would you build us up in holiness? Would you anchor our hope more and more in Christ? And would you make us distinct people here in this world as strangers and exiles for the sake of your glory? Make us more confident in the unshakable hope that we have in Christ today. We ask now that your spirit would work in us and change us and help us. May he move powerfully among us here in this moment. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. What is your hope set on? What, What is your confidence and firm hope anchored in? If I were to tol- tell you this morning that, that you would in 20 years from today receive $100 billion, quite a sum, if you would receive $100 billion 20 years from today, but between now and then you could only live on $60,000 per year, or you would forfeit the entire fortune, how would that change the way you live? How would you live today? Knowing that 20 years from now, you would receive $100 billion, but you could only in the next 20 years per year live and uh, receive 60000 a year. It would change things, right? If you wanted that great fortune and were confident to have that, you would live with a deep, deep transformation today on that hope that you had in the future. There's a, there's a deep connection between our hopes, and not just hopes in the way of wishful thinking, like I hope that ice cream shows up later today, or that I hope that I have a great week ahead, but our hopes as firm, confident realities, the things that we expect to happen to us. There's a deep connection between our hopes and the way in which we live day in and day out. When we set our hopes on something that we desire, something that's been promised to us and and something that we begin to expect, even if it has constraints around it, even if if it causes us to live in a specific way to receive it, it still shapes the way in which we live. Our future hopes dictate or shape the way that we presently act and behave and think. Maybe think about it this way. My wife and I, Stephanie, when we were dating, we lived in two different states. I lived in California, and she lived in Missouri. And so whenever we had a chance to see one another, it created a lot of hope and expectation and eagerness. And whenever one of us would travel to see the other, we changed the way we were living at the moment to be able to see one another to the degree like this that it would impact how I live. If I knew she was coming to visit me in California, I'd, I'd clean out the car, I'd get ready, I'd actually show up at the airport on time to greet her there, and I'd have a big bouquet of flowers and, and chocolate and uh, maybe a sign or something to, to show and express, I am so glad that you're here. I've been waiting a long time to see you. Your hope is set on something. It impacts how you live. So what about our lives today? What's the hope that you're living for? And how is it shaping how you live? This is what Peter can say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now think about what he's saying here. Put your minds to action, he says. Because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He's talked about this. We saw this last week. The goodness of Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Into Christ, the resurrection from the dead. In Christ, we've received an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled. In Christ, we are receiving and waiting for the goal of our salvation. Christ. He says, because all of those things are true, therefore... Set your mind to action. Be sober-minded. He says, think with with gravity about your life today. What matters? What doesn't matter? What's of deepest importance? What's of fleeting significance? What's real? What's powerful? What's true? He says, with your minds ready for action, being sober-minded. It's another way of saying, thinking clearly about the present, here and now. He says this. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter here, he he points us to a, a way of life that is very different from the way financial planners and wealth managers would teach us to live today, where they might say, diversify your portfolio. Make sure that you're you're hedging your bets in every case, in case the economy changes or in case tech industry drops or or whatever it might be. Diversify your portfolio so that when you retire, you've got plenty saved up. Peter says there's no hope diversification here. There's, There's no spiritual diversification of your portfolio or way to hedge your best with your minds ready for action. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think this is an important word for us today because in our times we're feeling uncertain and unpredictable, everything seems even shaken, the the foundations seem to be rumbling, but the Christian is called to live with steadfast hope, a complete confidence. Well how do we do that? How do we have that confidence that is unshakable? Peter's answer here isn't to diversify, it's not to to hedge our bets and to to get a few chips around the table. He's saying, go all in on Jesus. Go all in on the hope that is to be brought to you when Christ comes again. Peter here points us to the future. He says what, what John Piper would call future grace. He says, this grace is coming to you. Grace in that Christ is coming at his revelation, at his second coming. He will come and he will make all things new and all things right. He will change us and shape us. He will save us finally and fully. Peter points us to the future and says there's a windfall of radical, incorruptible, extravagant grace coming for all those who trust in Christ. And that's good news for us. But he says, how does that impact the way you live today? If that hope is coming, that Christ is coming, and all of his goodness and glory, that that inheritance that we long for and desire to have is coming, how does that change how we live today? And so I go back to the question I asked at the beginning, where is your hope set? Is your hope set completely in the grace that is to come in Jesus Christ? Or let me say it this way, future grace transforms our conduct today. The the grace of God that is coming in Jesus Christ, if we believe it, if our hope is set in the grace that is to come in Jesus, it shapes the way you and I live in the here and now. So think about your life. If we're gonna think soberly, if we're gonna be ready for action, how is the way you are living today reflecting the hope that you have in the future to come? How does the way you live right here and now In 2020, the end of September, how is your conduct of life, your your thinking, your your behaving, your emotions, all of you, how is your life today reflecting the hope that is to come in Christ? Or, Or is it? Peter here from this point on, and I want to unpack for us a couple calls that he has for us and how we are to live based on the future grace that is to come, based on the reality of Christ's coming, here's how we are to live now if our hope is to be completely banked on Jesus Christ and his coming. The first one is this, is that we are to see relationally if God is our Father, we're called to be holy people. If God is our Father, the way we live with our hope set completely on the grace to come is to be holy people. This is what he says in verses 14 through 17. He says, as obedient children. Now notice here that Peter begins calling us out of identity. And this is the way the gospel works. There's a gospel order to our reality. Peter here doesn't say, to become obedient children, be holy. To to earn the status of children, behave correctly, To be loved by God and adopted into his family, clean up your life. No, he he gives us the order in terms of who we are or our identity and then the command to follow that, the way we should live as children. So he's reflecting on us and he's saying, as obedient children. And, And you and I might say, well, I'm not so obedient all the time. I'm not always following the ways of Jesus. But he's calling us to reflect on who we are in God, that we have been adopted by Christ that we are his brother, that God is our father, and we've been rescued by the grace of God, which we did not earn, not by our good works, not by showing up and doing the right things, but by God's grace, which he's given, us to, given to us in Christ, he calls us as children. And he says, as children of the Father, as obedient children of the Father, here then is how you should live. Who we are shapes how we live, where our hope is set, directs The way in which we live. And so, as God has called us his children, as he has rescued us by Christ, he says, Here's how you should live out of that as children. Here's what bearing the family resemblance really looks like. First of all, in the negative, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, don't be conformed to the the passions or the desires of the way in which you used to live. The word conformed here means to form or to mold one's behavior in accordance with a pattern of particular or set standards. It's to be shaped by the things of this world. One 11th century pastor put it this way. He says, to be conformed to the things of this world means to be surrounded by them. Even today, there are some weak-willed people, he says, who will say that when they are in Rome, they should do as the Romans do. But whether they do this knowingly or in ignorance, the message here is clear. We are to abandon this world and be conformed to the one who alone is truly holy. There's a way in which we lived before Christ showed up in our lives, before he opened our eyes and he he changed our lives. We, We lived in the passions of our flesh, the desires of the former ignorance. Loving the ways of this world, loving the things of this world, loving the values of this world. And they were things that are totally opposed to God and who he is. Corruption of the heart, disobedience, rejection, lust, greed, hate, all of these things, rejecting God. But he says, no, 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 you as children of God, as obedient children, don't be shaped or conformed by the desires of this world. And so you may have to ask yourself the question, what are the things that this world loves that I am in danger of loving? What are the things of this world that are shaping my affections and my actions and my emotions? He says, don't be conformed to those desires. Don't follow along the stream of the world that's just heading over the waterfall. Don't be conformed to this world. But be changed. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as obedient children were to reject the ways of this world, to repent of the ways of this world, to not be conformed to the ways of this world, But there's a new way for us to live. If our hope is set in this future grace to come, Christ and His coming for us, here's the positive side of this charge or this call it's to be holy as He is holy. But at verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy. Again, here, He's reflecting identity. Is God your Father? Have you been adopted by Him? if he is the one who has called you out of darkness into his glorious light, he has called you away from the ways of this world and into the kingdom of his Son, if he has called you to himself and adopted you and made you his own through the blood of Jesus, if he's holy, so you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Let me just break this down for us here. It's clear, but it's deep for us. As the one who called you is holy, Paul calls us, or Peter calls and and charges us to reflect on who God is. What is his character? What is his nature? He is the Holy One who stands above and beyond all of us. He is distinct from us. This is the essence of what holiness means. To be holy is to be set apart. God himself is not like us creatures. He is distinct in every way from us perfect and pure in every way. He is one of a kind, unique and rare, beautiful and glorious, excellent in every way. And so he stands distinct from his creation. But he is also pure, radiant, glorious, righteous. Holiness speaks of moral purity as well. His glorious beauty in God. There is no darkness, no none at all, as John says in 1 John 1. Radiant glory, no sin, purity in every way. So connect the dots here. As the one who called you is holy, so you too are to be holy in all your conduct. As his children, we too are to walk in this holiness, to be set apart and distinct from the things of this world, to be morally excellent and pure in all our conduct. Catch here the the all-encompassing nature of this. As the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct, in all your ways, in your attitudes, in your behaviors, in your emotions, in your waking up and going to bed, in everything, in all your conduct, you are to be holy. In every way, we are to live as holy people, representing and reflecting a holy God. This is what it means to be his children. Sam Storms put it this way, he says to live holy as God is holy requires separating ourselves from those sinful passions that characterized our lives before we came to know Christ. It means distancing ourselves from the lifestyle that used to dominate our existence. It means cutting off ourselves from whatever will desensitize us to sin or blur our spiritual vision or stir up our sinful nature. It's a radical call. To be distinct, to be set apart, to be unique in this world, but not of this world. Well, where does Peter get this kind of idea? I mean, this is, this is a tall command. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Is, is Peter just laying down some incredibly hard law for us? Well, no, he, he takes this from Scripture itself. He says in verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, no less than three times, four times actually, in the book of Leviticus, God calls his people to be holy as he is holy. In Leviticus eleven forty-four and 45, Leviticus 19, 2, Leviticus 20, verse 7, and then 20, verse 26. God calls his people to be holy. And again, the gospel order is in place. God is saying that to his people that he is already rescued out of their slavery and bondage in Egypt. He is Rescuing, he is calling them to be holy because he has already done the work of salvation to them and for them. And so it is the same for us as well. He calls us to be holy not to earn his love and favor, but because he has shown us his grace and mercy in Christ who has died for us. The call to be holy is a call out of the relationship that we have with God already in Jesus Christ. So he's not saying be holy to earn your way to God, be holy to be accepted by him or approved by him, you're already his child if you've placed your faith in Christ. You're already accepted and received. So now you and I, because we are children, get to reflect the family likeness. We get to display what God is like as our father. We get to show off his glory, his distinctness, and his radiant purity in all things. If God is your father, be holy that's what it means to live with your hope anchored on the grace that is to come in Christ Jesus, to live distinct in this world. Paul take, or Peter takes it one step further in verse 17. He says, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, so he, he takes it out of the context of the home and he puts it in the context of the courtroom. He says, If you're going to think just on a transactional courtroom justice basis, and if you were to appeal to the Father, as a judge, who judges impartially based on each one's work. He says, think about how you would live in that regard. If you know that one day you're going to stand before a judge and you're going to have to give an account and he's going to render a verdict, how would you live knowing that that day is coming? You were to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. So you might not even get the family connection God has loved you and he has called you to himself and he saved you through the blood of Jesus Christ, you may just think of courtrooms and judges and if that's the case, if that's just a base case in your mind, then, then consider how you would live in that regard. You're a stranger here, you're in exile, so con- continue your walk of life. Live, conduct yourself in reverence, in holy awe here and now because you will stand and give an account. Before him, Peter is just trying to orient our minds to the future and the grace that is coming in Christ. He's trying to help us see what it means to set our hope completely on the grace that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because you might look at this and go, I am not living holy. I call myself a follower of Jesus, but my life's a mess. I'm living in the passions of my former ignorance and and, and my conduct here. It's it's not good. If God is to judge me today based on what I have done or haven't done, it isn't going to go well. But that's why Peter calls us to look back at the grace that is to come. God's future grace for us. His rescue us of us and his adoption of us in Christ that is to come. And if that is true, and if that is where our hope is banked, then we can begin to lean into holiness. We can begin to live as distinct people here and now, not shaped by this world, but distinct and unique and glorious to God in the midst of it. The point here that Peter is making is that this earth is not our home. Our hope is not to be banked in the here and the now. Although our passports may say citizens of these United States, our eternal citizenship is in heaven with Christ. This earth, this country isn't our home. And the way that we live shouldn't reflect the values of this time and this society and this world, but of the kingdom to come and the glory that we will have in Christ. Our hope isn't to be anchored in here and now, even in November, on November 3rd. Our hope is to be anchored in heaven. In Christ, set your hope completely. Get the totality of that word. In everything, our hope is to be set on the grace to be revealed at the coming of Jesus. So how now do we live in that light? We live with regard. We live with awe, We live with respect towards God as we journey as pilgrims to our eternal home. We live as citizens of a higher kingdom, a greater kingdom that we truly belong to as holy people, because that's who our Father is. What does this look like for you? In all your conduct, we might come back to verse 16, in all your conduct, you are to be holy as he is holy. What does it mean for us to be wholly distinct people in the here and now, in our speech, in our actions, in our attitudes, in our relationships? How do we reflect the holiness of God, who is our Father, in every area of life? It means to bear the family resemblance, to look like our daddy looks, to think act, to behave as our father behaves. As a father myself, I am encouraged and somewhat terrified at the same time to see the way my children, as they grow up, begin to mimic and take on some of the, the personality quirks and traits, good and bad and weird, of our family of me in particular, to see my son Ethan do things and talk in ways that I would talk. And I just go, oh man, did he get that from me? Many times around the dinner table, he'll say something and Stephanie and I'll look at each other and we'll go, that's you, (laughs) that's your side of the gene pool. Here it is for us to see. The grace of God has been revealed to us in Christ. He's given himself for us. He's adopted us into his family And as those things are true, if our hope is set in the reality that he will come and he will totally change us, he will bring us in and embrace us, he will make us new and eradicate totally and finally our sin nature and the sin and death and evil that plagues this world, and that's a good thing, aren't we gonna lean into being more like that here and now? To pursue holiness in everything, in our waking and in our sleeping, in our working and in our play and our family life and our relationships and our attitudes with our neighbors and those that we would even consider enemies of ours or we're distanced from, we must bear the family resemblance. If God is our Father, be holy. It's what living for the future grace, banking our hope completely in the grace that is to come truly looks like. But there's another relational dynamic here that that Peter pulls out to help us see how to live all in on that future grace. It's this in verses 18 to 21, if Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. Or another way to say that is if Jesus is your redeemer, keep believing, keep trusting. Peter takes us to our condition. He says, for you know, in verse 18, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. You were redeemed from your empty way of life. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived in the lust of this world. We, I mean, you could open up the newspaper, just hang out with unbelievers for a while, and you can see the trajectory of this world is not up. And that's where we stood. And yet, Peter uses an important word here. He says, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed from your empty way of life. You've been rescued out of that. This word here, redeemed, is referring to the practice in Greco-Roman culture of liberating a slave. A slave would typically receive his freedom after money was deposited. He would go to one of the temple shrines there of a god or a goddess, and he would take and he would pay some money to that temple shrine and then to the slave's owner for his redemption. Sam Storm says the sum paid for the redemption or ransom was referred to as the price. And the slave was considered to to have been redeemed by the deity that they were paying the price to. Here he says that you have been redeemed from your empty way of life, which you received from your fathers. So our sinful nature is one that we got from mom and dad. It's everybody's condition, and we've all received it from our forefathers. But we've received it, not. we've been redeemed not with perishable things, not with simple coins like silver or gold, which are even pretty expensive things. But Peter says they're perishable things. They don't last. We haven't been redeemed from our empty state, from our destruction from our sin and death, we haven't been redeemed by money, by the things of this world, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. I mean, Peter goes right to the heart of what God has done to free us from our sin and to claim us as his own, that he sent his son for us to die in our place for our sins. Kids, what you saw in the video this morning is to connect. That's the reality of what Jesus came to do for you and me, for each of us. He didn't redeem us by paying off somebody. He didn't redeem us by just doing some good things. He redeemed us by laying down his life and shedding his blood. The cost was his life to rescue you and me. He gave it all for us. He poured out his blood. Our redemption was won by the precious blood of Jesus. Now think about this reality the father taking you and I, enemies of his, hostile towards him, rebellious creatures, and saying, no, I'm gonna buy you back to myself. I'm gonna redeem you to myself through the shedding of my own son's blood. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. This is what Jesus has come and done for us. And Peter here compares this Shedding of Christ's blood with that of a sacrifice. Christ's blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. That's how the people of Israel marked that they were God's people. That Passover, every year, they slaughtered a lamb, and his blood was placed on the doorpost. So that they, they would be reminded that the angel of death had passed over them. That they were God's people, that they were unique to him. Their sacrificial system their atoning for their sins through the sacrifice of blood and goats was a picture of what Christ would do for all of us. When he laid down his life on our behalf, this is what Jesus has come and done. We can't just think that Jesus is just a good moral example for us. Someone to just applaud and to say, well, I wanna try and imitate or be like him because of his great example. Although he is an example for us, but he's so much more. And we can't think that Jesus came merely to teach good things, morality and wisdom and ethics and philosophy. Jesus isn't just a good teacher or a moral ethicist. He is one who came and he laid down his life. He died as a substitute for you and me, as a sacrifice from our sin, from the dead-end ways of this world that we were living. He died for us, to redeem us, to take the penalty we deserve and absorb the wrath of God in our place. Friends, this is what Jesus has done. Have you seen him as your redeemer? Have you embraced him as your savior? Have you come to him in faith and said, no way on the ways of this world any longer? My hope is in Christ. My trust is in him. We might think, well, this is God's plan B, right? I mean, he set up this world, he created it, he he made us for his glory and our good, and then we messed it up, and so God had to come up with plan B. Now, verse 20 tells us this was plan A all along. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Before the foundation of the world was ever made, God's plan A was to send his son for you and me, which he revealed in coming for us on the cross for you and I. And it's through him, verse 21, that you believe in God. It's through Christ that we have access to the Father. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is through him that we believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What did God do with the sacrifice of Christ? He received it. He approved it. And he raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. And Jesus has ascended. He is exalted to the right hand of God the Father where he reigns and rules from on high. And he intercedes for us. He has been given glory so that our faith and hope, now Peter comes all the way back around, are in God. Here's the point that he's landing on. Your faith and hope are in God. And so if we are to set our hope completely in the grace that is to be revealed, He says, put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in the Redeemer. Bank all of your life in Him. Being faithful means keep going on and trusting Christ. Keep depending on Him. Keep banking on Him. Don't look to other ways. Don't look to other hopes. Don't look to lesser things. Don't go to other wells. But continue to bank your hope in this life, through the rest of your life, in God. And what Jesus has done, the prophet Jeremiah condemns the people of Israel when he says this. He says, my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. And that's what it's like when we abandon God and we put our hope in other things, things of this world. We abandon him. We we reject him as the fountain of living water. And we, we dig cisterns, we dig wells for ourselves that can't hold water, they can't replenish us, they can't satisfy us. And here Peter points us to Christ and all that he has done for us. You don't need to have hope in anything else in this world because Jesus has fully and gloriously done all to secure our eternal hope. So set your hope in him. He's died in your place. He was raised to life. He has ascended to glory bank everything you've caught in Jesus and it'll transform the way you live. Where's your hope set? I'll ask this again. If your hope is set completely in Christ, if you're banking everything you've got in him, it will shape the way you live here and now. You'll be holy because your father is holy. You'll keep trusting Christ because every other well is empty. But if you're hedging your bets, you're diversifying your hope portfolio. You'll live a scattered life. Hope will be elusive. The the unsettledness of this world will show you you have no hope. So that's why Peter says, go all in on Christ. Set your hope fully in the grace to be revealed. What is that grace? Who is that grace? It's Jesus. So let's pursue him, friends. As God is our Father, let's be holy. As Christ is our Redeemer and brother, let's be faithful. Let's keep banking on Jesus day in and day out and let it shape the world and the way in which we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your extravagant, amazing grace. And Lord, we pray that you would give us mercy and grace even today to continue to set our hope in Christ, that we would bank our lives on Jesus and what he has done for us and not the things of this world. Anchor us in Christ. May our hope be set fully on him. And so, Lord, we would pray that out of that, holiness would increase, that we would be more and more like Jesus and we would be more and more transformed into his image and that faithfulness would continue that we would keep trusting and trusting and trusting in Christ day in and day out. Do this within us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.